Amen. Acts chapter 21, verse 37. As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, and that word tribune, by the way, simply means commander of a thousand soldiers. Paul said, may I say something to you? And he said, do you know Greek? Are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? And Paul replied, I'm a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. And when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great hush... He addressed them in the Hebrew language or in Aramaic, saying, Brothers and fathers. Pause for a moment with the reading and let me just point out, I won't dwell on this, but it's very interesting that Paul begins here in the exact same manner that Stephen begins in Acts chapter 7 verse 1. I think this really stuck with the Apostle Paul, his role in Stephen's murder. And we'll see him say as much before we finish today. Um, And I want to encourage us not to allow our past sin to define us per se, but I think it's something we should never lose sight of because very few things are as useful to us in producing the kind of humility that I believe Paul had when he spoke to the Jews here. It helps us to identify with those who in their hearts are still far from God and to be very useful to them in proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. But Paul goes on, he says, Brothers and fathers... Hear the defense that I now make before you. That word defense is the word apologia. You see it in 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 15. Always be ready to give a defense or a reason for the hope that you have within you to everyone who asks. And there's a whole school of apologetics that we develop based on that word and that idea. And usually people think of apologetics as the business of answering the world's most difficult questions. And why does God allow suffering? And, and is God, if he's all-powerful, can he make a rock so heavy that not even he can lift it? And you know, all those different things that we think of when we think of apologetics. But it's not limited to that. Here Paul says, this is my apologia. This is my defense. And what he does is he actually tells his testimony. I promise you, if you take a course in Christian apologetics, not one section in that course will be devoted to how to share your testimony of conversion. But biblically speaking, apologetics includes sharing your testimony of conversion with the world that they might also believe in Jesus Christ. So this is an informal apologetics course for you. Aren't you glad? Paul says, this is my defense before you. And what we see from this point forward as Paul gives his defense, it's not just a way of defending himself or his new way of life as I've titled this message, but it's actually a passionate appeal. A passionate appeal to his fellow Jews to reconsider everything that they have previously believed about Jesus Christ and about his followers. And what we're going to do as we go through this, and I'll give you an outline form here, Paul calls their attention to three things when he makes his appeal to them to reconsider everything they've believed about Jesus Christ. And he tells them to consider, first of all, in verses 3 to 5, his credibility as a witness. In verses 6 to 16, he calls them to consider his conversion. And then finally, in 17 to 21, he calls them to consider his commissioning. So his credibility, his conversion, and his commissioning. And before I go through that verse by verse, here's what I want you to do. If you're not a Christian and you're with us this morning, 
Some people here may know that about you. God certainly knows that about you. It's possible that you may not know that about yourself. As we'll see, the Apostle Paul very much thought that he was on God's team until verse 6 in our story. Um, But if you're here and you're not a Christian and you actually know that, then here's what I want you to do. I want you to take this opportunity over the next half an hour to put everything that you have believed about Jesus Christ back on the table. To put everything that you have believed about his followers and his church back on the table and just reconsider. Let what God is about to say perhaps change the way you see his son, Jesus Christ. Let the Bible inform you of who Jesus is that you together with us might become more like the kind of people and more like the kind of church that God deserves and desires to see in the earth. I'll pray one more time and then we'll start in verse 1 again of chapter 22. Lord, we just ask for your help as we go through the rest of our time. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said. Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that Paul was addressing them in the Hebrew language... They became even more quiet because you see it makes a difference when people have an opportunity as you just saw in the video to hear the word of God in their own language. In fact, that is the real miracle of Pentecost. A lot of other things get the emphasis and the airtime, the speaking in tongues and the sensational. But if you listen very closely to the Holy Spirit's own commentary in the Bible in, in Acts chapter 2, the real focus was that, look, we all hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own language. So give someone the gift of Pentecost and the miracle of Pentecost. Go to Wycliffe.org, like I told you earlier, and see how you can be a part of one of the greatest things Christians can ever do for others. All right, so here it is. They heard Paul speaking in Hebrew language, and that earned a listening in their, in their eyes and, and in their ears, obviously. And in verse 3, Paul says, listen, here's why I, I, I want you to listen to me. I, first of all, I'm a Jew. And he knows that that won't be good enough for his crowd because... Are you, what kind of a Jew are you? Are, are you a Jew of the diaspora? Have you grown up in one of these cities where your Judaism might be tainted and defiled? Or are you a Jerusalem Jew? And Paul very quickly gets on to it and says, I, I was born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but I was educated or brought up rather in this city of Jerusalem. And so those who would have been his detractors because he was of the diaspora, they immediately are brought back in and they say, okay, I'll listen to what you have to say. And furthermore, Paul says, and I'm not one of those guys you can dismiss. I'm not just some businessman, some fisherman like Peter and John. I was educated at the feet of Gamaliel. You'll remember some of you from your prior Bible reading in Acts chapter 7, verse 45. Right at, in fact, you can flip there without losing your place. Right after... Jesus had been preaching and people had been discussing who they thought he was and could this be the one and they said, man, when, in, in verse 32, when the Christ comes, will he do more signs than this man? Somewhere around verse 31 or 32. And the Pharisees were very disturbed when they heard people speaking like this and so they actually sent officers to arrest Jesus. And by the time you get to Acts, or rather John, the Gospel of John, chapter 7, verse 45, those officers come back. And the officers then came to the chiefs, the chief priests and the Pharisees who said to them, why didn't you bring Jesus in? And look at the response. The officers answered, nobody ever spoke like this. And the Pharisees answered them, so have you also been deceived? 
Has any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd, this mob that does not know the law is a curse. That's where you find Jesus' following amongst people who know absolutely nothing about the law. And Paul looks at his, his crowd in Acts chapter 22 and he says, you won't be able to dismiss my testimony that easily. I know the law much better than all of you. I do not follow Jesus Christ because I am ignorant of theological matters and training. It's not because I'm untrained. Some people won't listen to me, quite frankly, because I don't have a seminary degree. Yet I'm not moved. It's not, it's not the seminary degree that validates the minister and the messenger of God. It's, it's whether or not that person goes into the Word of God and speaks faithfully what God has already spoken. All right? I think seminary degrees have great value. I do not put those down at all. We have people in our congregation who have seminary degrees, but, but it is the faithful messenger who speaks after God what God has already spoken. That is the man. That is the one whom God commends. And so as we go through... We see here that Paul cannot be dismissed. And for many other reasons, as we read in Acts chapter 22, he tells them, don't don't tune me out. Not only was I educated at the feet of Gamaliel according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day, but I even went beyond you in my zeal in verses 4 and 5. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. You talk about zeal. This guy would just go and and grab women and just drag them. All the while believing himself to be on God's team. So Paul says, listen, verse 5, as the high priest and the whole council of the elders can actually bear me witness, they remember from them I received letters to the brothers and I journeyed toward Damascus to extradite, to take those from there and bring them also in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. But I stand before you today as a Christian. He wouldn't have used that word. He would have said, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a follower of the way that I once persecuted. Why? Why are some of you Christians today? Why is Paul a Christian Nothing about his background to this point would lead us to believe that he should become a follower of Jesus, but he did, and the reason for that is given to us here in the text as we move from Paul's credibility to his conversion. In verse 6, Paul says, as I was on my way to Damascus, or rather, as I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. Now, you want to note the time at which this happened. We are on our way to Damascus in Syria in the Middle East. Has anyone been around there at noon in the day? Do you you have any idea what that Middle Eastern sun is like at noon? I was in Dubai last year. It was easily heat indexed about 140 degrees at noon. I would step out of the house and my sunglasses would immediately fog. I mean, I have never experienced sun like that. And my parents are from Jamaica. Completely different sun. Bright as the day is long. 
And here it is, the Apostle Paul walks out at noon, he's on the Damascus road over there to Damascus, and and all of a sudden there is a light, and there's no mistaking it for him, he understands that this light is not natural. He says, about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. It had to be from heaven. This light, as Chris said earlier, it was so bright, it was so much stronger than even the noonday Middle Eastern sun, that it made the the noonday Middle Eastern sun look like the light on your iPhone. For those of you who have no clue what that is because you're listening to this on the computer and you're maybe somewhere where there are no iPhones yet, if that's possible, I'm I'm sure Apple will try to make their way to you, but just in case, uh, it made the sun look like a lamp. And I always used to read this incorrectly. I used to read this and think there was just this great light that flashed in the sky and and then this voice kind of came which accompanied it and... And, and I kind of read it differently now. Let me show you why. As this light shone around Paul in verse 6. In verse 7, he said, I fell to the ground. And I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, it's clear this, this person, whoever's saying this, is not trying to get information that he is currently without. This question is for Paul. Why are you doing this? Paul, in a moment, your life can change in a moment. When God speaks and you hear and distractions are removed, which is possible right now, your life can change in a moment. If I have time, I will tell you at the end of this message how that happened for me about 14 years ago. But Paul's life is changing at this very moment. And he goes from somebody who has been theologically trained in the best schools that Jerusalem could offer. He has in the theological world the equivalent of a law degree from Harvard or Yale. And he he responds to this voice which speaks to him from this light. And I believe the light is right there in front of him, all around him. And as Paul describes in other places like 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and 1 Corinthians chapter 15, this is Jesus appearing to Paul. Jesus makes an appearance from heaven. And just like Balaam was on that that donkey and was stopped and was opposed by a messenger from God, Jesus himself comes and stops Paul. No donkey or horse is speaking here. Jesus himself says, I'll take this one. Paul hears Jesus speaking to him in all of his glory, shining in all of his radiance and perfection. And he says, who are you, Lord? This man with the greatest theological education in the world has no clue who God is. In a moment, that becomes very obvious to him. But the the wonderful thing about this as I read it more and more is that the humility of Paul really stands out to me here. It's very hard when you think you already know all these things. It's very hard to admit otherwise. Isn't it? Yet he he says, Lord, who, who are you? Is this Stephen? Who's speaking to me? Who? I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. You're about to witness what what is required for a true conversion to take place. A true conversion that results in salvation. 
not one of those that, that amounts to us maybe changing one or two sinful habits in our life, but a true conversion that takes someone from spiritual death to life in Jesus Christ. And I hope this happens for somebody here today if you're not a believer. What, what happened here was that Paul saw a light, but more importantly heard a voice. Pick this up with me again here in verse 8. As Paul says, who are you, Lord? And he says to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Verse 9 really stands out to me. Now, those who were with me, pay very close attention here. This is important. Those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. Salvation does not happen simply because someone is present when God does something special. People's lives are not necessarily changed just because they're there when a miracle takes place. There is a real difference here between Paul and his companions, whom I assume, though we're not told, were also going with Paul to be kind of like the muscle behind his brains to drag people away from Damascus, put them in chains and bring them back to Jerusalem. So I imagine they're on Paul's side here persecuting the church. And yet here they are. Paul says they saw the light shining around Paul. They could see the light, but they did not hear or understand the voice. Paul's entire life is changed, not because he saw the light, but because he heard and understood the voice. It is when people's lives are changed, people are saved, salvation takes place when we hear a very clear voice that reveals to us the truth of who Jesus is. And when we begin to agree with what that means about who we are in comparison to him and what our need is for him to change us. That is when salvation takes place. It's not going to the meeting. It's not going to the revival. It's not being there when my sister or my cousin is shouting. It's not. It is when you hear a very clear voice explaining and revealing the truth of Jesus Christ. And in fact, I'll prove it to you. Let's keep reading. You're going to notice something in verse 11. One of the things that I always do as I'm studying the Bible is I ask myself, is there anything in this passage that is surprising to me? And so much truth is brought out of those surprising parts of the passage. Here in Acts chapter 22, pick it back up in verse 10. Paul says, I said, what shall I do, Lord? Which again is another question that shows us Paul is changing. This is one of the evidences of real salvation. Paul is now postured to say, I I was directing my own life. Something else was directing my life. But now the voice of the one who has spoken to me and identified himself as Jesus Christ is the one directing my life. What? shall I do, Lord? Let me ask you something. When was the last time you looked at Jesus and said, what shall I do, Lord? This is not a what shall I do? Shall I put on a blue sweater or a red sweater? This is a what shall I do with the rest of my time here on this earth? Do you want me, Lord, to learn a language that has yet to been put into the scriptures? Do you want me to go And immerse myself in that language. Do you want my kids? Should I pray for my kids that way? What do you want me to do? Paul Paul is open here. His slate is wiped clean. He says, Lord, what do you want me to do? 
And Jesus doesn't even give him the whole story. There's more that he, that he gives him than we read here. And we'll see some of that in Acts chapter 26 when we get there. But, but Jesus says, rise and go into Damascus and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And so, look at verse 11. Since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. And this is why verse 11 surprises me. What was the description of Paul's companions back in verse 9? Didn't they also see the light? Why is it Paul was blind but they weren't? Oh, don't miss this. Think with me. Why is it Paul was blinded but they were not? They They all saw the light. You're waiting for me to give you the answer, aren't you? I can tell. Part of the answer is, I don't know. The next part, of, let's just get that out of the way. The next part of the answer is, is something I want to submit to you. I, I think it's clear from this, this passage and the fact that Paul is blinded by this light, but that some other people who saw it weren't blinded by the light. I think it's very clear that Jesus had a very focused and special intent on reaching Paul and saving Paul. Jesus obviously did not feel that he was under any obligation to save Paul's companions. I'm going to say that again, and I want everybody to look at me. Jesus obviously did not feel that he was under any obligation to save Paul's companions in this moment. Jesus obviously did not feel that he was under any obligation to grant them the exact same opportunity to hear the voice that Paul was hearing in this moment. Now, I point that out because it kind of runs contrary to something that you and I are taught to believe, which is that salvation is our right to receive rather than the right of Jesus to distribute according to his own will. I'll say that again. I mention this because I think it is very important for us to understand that it is incorrect to believe what we are often told. That salvation is our right to receive rather than the right of Jesus Christ to distribute according to his will. Does anyone here want to correct Jesus this morning and say you should have also let his companions hear this voice which led to Paul's salvation? Anyone feel qualified? Maybe we need to rethink some things that we have always believed. Salvation is not your right. It is a gift from God. And Jesus says in John, he says it and shows it here, it is his to distribute to whomever he will. Paul heard a voice that no one else present was permitted to hear. And even as I speak right now, Jesus is speaking clearly to some hearts and they're hearing things which are revealing truth about him and some of us are going to leave today thinking, I I just didn't get very much out of that message today. I don't say that's your fault at all. I just say the Holy Spirit has a very particular focus at times and saying you today have been appointed to hear this voice from heaven. In fact, let's keep reading. Some of you who have been with us remember Acts chapter 13 In verse 48 and 49, all those who were appointed to eternal life believed. 
and look at what we see here as we continue looking at Paul's conversion. They led him to Damascus, those who could still see, even though they saw the light that blinded Paul. And in verse 12, one Ananias. How is, how is Jesus going to show himself to us today? Is he going to come and appear to us as he appeared to Paul? A bright, blinding light? More than likely, he's going to come to us in the way that we're reading right now, in the form of a person named Ananias who believes in Jesus, a, a Christian. And that Christian is going to speak to us the very clear will of God for our lives as they explain the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they're going to say, Jesus died for your sins on a cross back in Rome, or back outside of Jerusalem in the Roman Empire about 2,000 years ago. And when he died on that cross, he was taking your place. He was being punished for your sins and God accepted his sacrifice. And then they're going to tell us that God raised Jesus from the dead three days later, showing that he accepted that sacrifice on our behalf and also that Jesus now has the power and authority to do what he claimed he could do and that is to give us the new life that only he can give. You're going to hear that from someone like Ananias. In fact, one of my prayers for all of us who are Christians today is that before this year is over, God might let us be like Ananias to somebody else who is coming to faith because of what Jesus has done in their hearts, and he just gives us that part where we get to explain, hold their hands, pray with them, and help them cross that line. What a privilege and what an honor. But here it is. Ananias, you can read the rest of his story in Acts chapter 9, but in in verse 12 here of chapter 22, a devout man who... A devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there in Damascus, he came to me in verse 13. And standing by me, he said to me, Brother Saul... Receive your sight. And at that very hour, I received my sight and saw him. Paul is trying to tell the Jews who are with him, who nearly beat him within an inch of his life, look, look, this was not my idea. I am not a Christian today because it was my idea. This is not the result of me coldly calculating certain facts presented to me and saying, I think I'll choose Christianity instead of Buddhism. Buddhism wasn't around yet, but you won't, well, maybe it was. It was, actually. It's Islam I'm thinking about. Islam wasn't around yet. But Paul says, I didn't just consider these things and say, I want to be a Christian. Paul says, I was on my way to to imprison these guys. I was blinded by Jesus Christ. He told me who he was. I was wrong about him. So were all of you. He took away my sight, and he gave it back to me in three days at the very simple Word of a man named Ananias, who there was nothing impressive about him. I mean, sure, he was a devout Jew, but he he didn't look like somebody who could give me my sight back. And all he did was say, Brother Saul, receive your sight, and it was back. Please listen to me when I tell you about Jesus. He took away Paul's sight and just gave it back through somebody else. He didn't even show up to give it back to him himself. He just said, Ananias, you go do it. How am I going to give him back his sight, Jesus? I've never done that before. Just say, receive your sight. Okay? Receive your sight. It worked. Jesus doesn't have to show up for you today as a bright light from heaven. Just just listen to what the Bible is saying. Just listen. Listen to the words of a simple man who believes in Jesus, whose life has been changed by Christ. Receive your sight. See who God is. See who Jesus is. Receive your sight. Paul continues here, and he 
At that very hour, I received my sight. And in verse 14, and he said, the God of our fathers, Paul, let me explain to you what's happening to you. It's clear that you don't understand what's going on. But in verse 14, the God of our fathers appointed you. Remember, chapter 13, verse 48 and 49, all who were appointed to eternal life believed. We don't know what we should say about Paul's companions, but in verse 14, Ananias is able to say, the God of our fathers He's not opposed to Jesus Christ, the very same God that you were zealous for before you were stopped on the road here to Damascus. The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will. And by the way, that's how you become a Christian. That's how you get saved. Before you talk about your decision and and anything else, God appoints people to know his will. God appointed you to know his will. To see the righteous one that we speak about in Isaiah chapter 53, the, the righteous one. In Isaiah 53, who will bear the sins of many, whose soul will be made an offering unto death for the sins of many, who was raised by God. In Isaiah chapter 53, we see the righteous one, the servant of God being spoken of. Jesus is that righteous one, Paul tells the crowd. And here it is, he was appointed to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth. Verse 15, here's why Jesus showed himself to you like that, Paul. For you will be a witness, that's the Greek word martis, we get the word martyr from that word. You will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. You don't become a martyr or witness, you don't become a martyr when you die for Christ. You live as a witness, as a martyr. All the while you are Christ's martyr, carrying your cross and following the Lord Jesus Christ. And in verse 16, if you're not a Christian here today, here's... here's, application of the message. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to ask the Lord a question and say, Lord, what shall I do? What shall I do, Jesus? And I want you to hear verse 16 as his answer. And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash your sins away, calling on his name. And Paul did just that. He's given them reasons to consider him a credible witness. And as he's moved from his credibility to his conversion, Paul comes to verse 17 where he begins to speak to them about his commissioning. And if they would charge him with having new relationships with those outside of his own race, those who are not Jews and who have not even yet converted to Judaism, Paul Paul says, here's why I've done that. This same Jesus who took away my sight and gave it back to me with all the power of heaven, this Jesus commissioned me. He is the one who sent me to these Gentiles. He is the one who sent me to the Kimyal peoples of the earth. He is why you saw me in the temple with Trophimus the Ephesian. Although it is not true that I took him in beyond the court of the Gentiles to defile this place, that you can't prove that, but that's why you see me with Trophimus. I don't deny my relationship with him any more than I deny my relationship with Jesus. Look, some of us as Christians, we ought to grow to this place. Ask the Lord for help. We ought to be able to stand without any fear or shame before others of the relationships we have with people across ethnic lines because of Jesus Christ. We ought to ask him to help us with the fear that we have when we find ourselves in the presence of those who are not quite at that same place. Repenting of racism is very important. Paul begins to answer the charge of why he's found with Gentiles as he considers his commissioning in verse 17. He said, look, when I returned to Jerusalem, I came back here and I was praying in the temple and I fell into a trance and I saw him saying to me, who's him? Jesus, 
He didn't just have an experience with Jesus that made him feel good or made him feel bad in a church service one Sunday. When he came back home, Jesus was still there and was still speaking to him. I fell into a trance and I saw Jesus saying to me, look, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. Well, Jesus, why don't you do something about that? I mean, you stopped me as I was going to Damascus. What do you mean they won't accept my testimony about you? Why don't you just make them accept my testimony about you? Surely you can do that? Could not the man who opened the eyes of the blind have kept Lazarus from dying? Could not the man who took away my sight and gave it back three days later through another man named Ananias stop people from rebelling against him and cause them to believe my testimony about him here in Jerusalem? Well, the answer, of course, logically speaking, is yes. But again, here we come to the... (laughs) You can't get away from this, Rayshon, can you? The sovereignty of God in distributing the gift of salvation. Jesus obviously does not plan to come from heaven as a bright light and make people believe Paul's testimony about him in Jerusalem. And you can't convince yourself at this moment as the Bible is being clearly explained anything else. You can't convince yourself that that's not correct. It's true. Jesus could have done something about it. He chose not to. Have you ever considered the free will of Jesus? And how that impacts salvation. Verse 18, I saw Jesus saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they know. I mean, why not? They themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you and when the blood of Stephen your witness was being shed I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him and Jesus said to me go for I will send you far away to the Gentiles and that was it for his crowd verse 22 up till this word they listened to him but then they raised their voices and said away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And obviously they had not learned the lesson that God is intending to teach us today. They don't have the power or the authority to get rid of Paul on their timing. And no one has the power or the authority to get rid of you on their timing, so to speak. Nothing will happen to you. Not one bird falls to the ground apart from the will of our Father. Jesus teaches us in Matthew chapter 6. Verses 19 through 34. Nothing will happen to you in in terms of you dying until Jesus says, okay, I will allow it. That's how powerful Jesus is. I told some kids at Delmont just up the street, I said, the next time you see a bird flying through the air, remember, you're safe in God's hands. That bird can't fall unless God says, okay, okay. Nothing can happen to you unless God says, I'll allow it. Let's reconsider Jesus. Jesus is powerful. He's sovereign. If you are a believer, if you are a Christian, if you have received the gift of salvation, then guess who you ought to thank for that? Not me, not you. Don't thank yourself for a great decision. Thank Jesus Christ. Because you have received a gift that you could not give yourself. 
and that no one else who cares about you deeply could give, give to you either. You ought to be one of the happiest people on the earth, not because everything's going right for you, but because you were given the most precious gift. You ought to thank him every day. You ought to thank him every day. Lord, we just want to thank you right now for the gift of salvation. And very quickly, let me tell you how it looked for me about 14 years ago. I, I, didn't, I won't claim to have had a great light surround me and a voice speaking to heaven and all that kind of stuff, but I was, I was uh, about 19 or 20 years old. This is 20 years old, actually. It was in the fall of 1997, about 14 years ago. Uh, and I was in preseason at Howard University. I was a soccer player there, and, and I was just walking down past the engineering building. Mignon knows what I'm talking about on 6th Street. And as I was going by on that right side of the road, there was a guy named Herb. Herb. He, he was about a buck 35 sopping wet. And he had these horned rim glasses on. And I, he was the last person that I would have been seen socializing with. And, and in any way, I was, I was popular. He was not. And, and I kind of, I kept reminding myself of that. That's the kind of person I was. So here it was. I, was. I was going down that side of the road. He was coming up the other side from the medical school, and I saw him off in the distance. When he got about 50 yards away, he crossed the road and came onto the same side of the sidewalk with me. And I thought, that's strange. It's just me and him on this road. But I, I thought I could take him. <laughs> and he looked at me, and I, I can't remember if he said hello or not, but he looked at me and he said, have you ever considered studying the Bible? Well, you're skipping a step, aren't you? Studying the Bible, I, I just like to read it. I've never read it before. And, and I told him, yes, you know, three months ago I would have thought you were crazy, but here's what happened. God had already been working in my heart, and he was sending herb to me like Ananias. About two months before that, I was doing an internship at the National Institutes of Standards and Technology in Gaithersburg, Maryland. I was a chemistry major. That's, that's what my degree is in. I don't have a theological degree or a seminary degree. I'm a chemistry geek. All right, so I, I was there at the National Institutes of Standards and Technology, and I sat down for lunch one day, as was my custom. I bowed my head, and I prayed, and when I opened my eyes, there was this lady. She was pretty quick. There was this lady who came over. She was about, I would say, anywhere from 45 to 50 years old, though she didn't tell me. That would be my guess. Her name was Mary. I've, I've never learned her last name. I've never seen her since this day. But she sat down and she said, I noticed you prayed before you ate your meal. Are you a spiritual person? You seem different from the other interns. And I said, well, of course. Now, I, I prided myself in the fact that I was a spiritual person. And I said, well, why, of course. I'm a spiritual person. I pray before I eat every meal. And I pray if I lose something. And I, I was, my spirituality was Catholic. So I, I believe it was St. Michael that I would pray to if I lost something. Or I, can't, I can't ever keep up with those saints. Um, can't keep up with you saints, I can't keep up with them. But, but here it was, I, I prayed and, and, and after I talked to Mary, she said, have, have you ever read God's word very much? And I said, what do you mean um, God's word? I'd never, never heard that phrase in my life. And she said, well, the Bible, have you, have you read the Bible before? And I said, well, no, I, I've seen a Bible, but I've never done that thing of, you know, reading it. No, not, why would I do that? But so, so I, you know, some of us just need to read our Bibles, right? We're laughing, but some of us just need to, it's been a while, and we need to read our Bibles again. So here it was, I'm, I'm, I'm reading, or I'm talking to Mary, and I leave this conversation feeling, you know what, this thing that I've been thinking about for the last two months, there's more to a relationship with God than I have, she, she has it, I can tell. 
And I left that conversation with a new appetite to read the Bible. And it, it actually took place about two months later when I met Herb. And Herb was ready for me when he saw me. He said, oh, you've never read the Bible. Why don't you meet with me and my friend Noel on Tuesday and Thursday night in your dorm room from 7 to 7.30. And we'll read the Bible together and see what God wants to say to you. It's good to be prepared, isn't it? What was I going to say? I was like, well, sure. <laughs> Practice finishes. You know, at about five, we go get dinner. Why not? Why not? Let's read the Bible. I've been wanting to. And so I sat there with Herb and his friend Noel, who, who is a guy, a guy named Noel. I thought that was strange too. This pair. These two didn't, <laughs> these two didn't add up to one in my book. I mean, Herb... <laughs> 135, sopping wet with horned rim glasses and a guy named Noel. So, where's Mike? Don't take any offense to that. Yours is the last name. Is he here? No, he's not here. Uh, but this is first, first name was Noel. And I said, okay, I'll, I'll work with it. We're going to read the Bible though, right? All right, let's do that quickly. So we started reading. And it wasn't long before they took me to John chapter 3, where I heard these words. And again, I don't claim to hear an audible voice from Jesus, but the only way I can explain it is it sounded like I was hearing a voice from the outside and the inside all at the same time. And we got to this place where, where Jesus said to Nicodemus, verse 7, Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. And those words, you must be born again, have never escaped me. I prayed that night to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. I became a follower of Jesus Christ 14 years ago, here I am today by the grace of God. And for some of you, I want to say that tonight or this morning or some other day, you've probably had a moment now or you will have a moment soon, I pray, where you can say the same thing. By the grace of God, I heard Jesus speak to me like he spoke to Paul, like he spoke to Raymond, like he spoke to hundreds of the people in here. And by the grace of God, I am Jesus' follower today. He has appointed me to know his will, to see him through the scriptures, to hear a voice from his mouth, and to come to him in repentance and faith. May the Lord make us as Christians like Ananias to somebody this year. For those Jesus is working in their heart, let's come to them and help them. Take them by the hand, pray with them, and bring them to Christ. And for those of you who are not Christians, I just pray that you'll say, Lord, what should I do? One more time, I'll read you Acts chapter 22, verse 16. Why do you wait? Why do you wait? Do it before we take communion. Rise, you can't do this part, and be baptized and wash your sins away calling on his name. But I tell you this, if you have felt Jesus speaking to you with the kind of laser-like focus that he spoke to Paul and you feel like your heart is changing and you're saying, who are you, Lord? And you're receiving the answer of Jesus. What shall I do, Lord? And your, your heart is postured to obey him when he says, rise immediately, get up, be baptized, wash your sins away, calling on my name. Then come and tell somebody in this room, find me, find one of the other pastors, find Matt Bristol, find, find somebody in here and say, I need to be baptized. How do I do that? Let's pray. Lord, Lord, thank you for this story where you you help us to see Paul's credibility, his conversion, and and his commissioning. Thank you for changing our lives, appointing us to know your will, to see Jesus through the scriptures, to hear a voice from his mouth, and for providing for us, as we prayed earlier, what we need, spiritually speaking, what we need today. 
As we reflect on what we've heard this morning, I just pray that, that you would grant us the repentance and the faith that we all need. We ask all that in your name, Jesus. Amen. In a couple of minutes after we reflect on what we've heard, I'll come back up here and we'll, we'll take communion for those who are already Christians. And for those who are not, again, I pray that this has happened for you. If you have turned in your heart with faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, trusting that he has pardoned your sins through his death on the cross and that he's been raised to life, showing that you too might be raised to the newness of life through believing in him, you're welcomed also to come and take communion with the rest of the church. Take a moment to reflect.